You ready to do this? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I had an right. uh, alert, of course, as soon as I opened Skype, that was like, your call recorder has software updates. And I was like, no, <laughs> just keep it as is. So it appears to be recording. So I guess we're good. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see at the end. Hello and welcome to Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. I'm your host, Michael Denniston. On this episode, me and my co-host, Chris Maynard, take a look at the new release, Please Stand By, starring Dakota Fanning, about a young woman who takes a possibly ill-advised road trip to enter a Star Trek episode writing competition. I apologize in advance, for we are not Trekkies, but we will recommend two other films that Please Stand By reminded us of. That is the premise of this podcast, but if you want a more in-depth, I guess, look at the premise of Please Stand By, here's the trailer. And after that, our discussion on the films. Captain's Log, final entry. Spock and I are the sole survivors. Enterprise, are you there? Morning, Wendy. Morning, Scotty. Can we go over your everyday schedule? Wake up, go to work. Welcome to Cinnabon. Would you like a Cinnabon? How's your script coming? I just wrote a story where Spock travels to Deep Space Nine. That sounds awesome. 3 p.m., take Pete for a walk. 6 p.m., watch Star Trek before I go to bed. Send in your script highlighting the best of the Star Trek universe. Next week, your sister's coming. There's a Star Trek script writing contest. We can go to the post office, and then I can go home with you. Can you please tell Audrey that I'm ready to go home now? Please stand by. (gasps) Breathe. Your completed script must be received by February 16th. Where are you going? Los Angeles. (laughs) Bus driver, my friend needs to pee. Don't do it, Pete! This is what happens when you pee on the bus. Me and my boyfriend, we're actually going down to L.A. Maybe you should just come with us. She's five foot four, blonde. That's her. Hey! I know he's the hero of Star Wars, but who exactly is this Kirk person? She's out there, alone. She's a very resourceful girl. Get my notebook back! Where am I? You're at the hospital, you hit your head. She jumped out the window! How did she get away from you people? What language is that? It's Klingon. Your sister is one of the most complex and creative people I know. People have their own lives, and after a while, those lives don't include you. Captain, there is only one logical direction in which to go forward. Light. It can travel for millions of years before finally reaching its destination. Do you know how hard it is to write something because the story you want to tell means so much to you? It goes lonely and alone, hoping that it will reach someone. That's amazing. So what happens next? The unknown is there for us to conquer, not to fear. What was Leonard McCoy's daughter's name? Joanna. Oh, snap! Payoff! Uh, yeah, I've had that happen before. (laughs) Fuck it, then. <laughs> Nobody needed it anyway. Unlike these two episodes tonight that I think the people have demanded. I thought that was uh, the road movie with uh, Book of Shadows, <laughs> Blair Witch 2, myself. Don't think we're going to top that tonight. Uh, please stand by. So, in our little 
a text message exchange where we we picked the movie year to make sure that we didn't pick the same one. Uh, you think that uh, we were on the same page? Uh, I for- think it's a possibility. Uh, much like uh, Book of Shadows, I just went with my <laughs> gut this time. It, I think it's going to be the vanilla pick, though. So, um, at least <laughs> unlike the Road movie, the last episode there will be a trailer that makes some degree of sense. <laughs> so uh, that will have played at this point, and uh, so people will get a general idea of the premise here. But uh, just to reiterate the IMDb summary, because those are always fun, uh, especially for humor me. Something about triplets uh, sending everything <laughs> awry. This one uh, stars Dakota Fanning as a young autistic woman who runs away from her caregiver in an attempt to submit her manuscript to a Star Trek writing competition. I, I think that one actually makes sense for this one. I think it's fair. The poster, Dakota Fanning doing the, the little Vulcan symbol. So, yeah. Okay. They're all lines out on on brand with uh Star Trek here for sure. <laughs> if you're a fan of the JJ Abrams films, you're going to you're going to love this. So uh I I guess really only one film came to mind for me. And you know, this is difficult because when uh I brought this to you like, "Hey, have you heard of this movie?" and I read that first line, a young autistic woman, you're like, "Nope, we don't need to do that. We don't need to record on that." And it wasn't until we got to the Star Trek part where we're like, "Okay, maybe so." So the only film that came to mind for me, it's not Trekkies or anything like that, but it uh, is on the sort of same wavelength as far as a woman obsessing over a particular part of pop culture. And, and ah, my we, film, we chose different. We chose different from 2000. We could have done the same year. Okay. So I went uh, with uh, Nurse Betty with Renee Zellweger uh, obsessing over soaps, daytime soaps. And uh, there is... Well, there's a, a pretty violent act that she witnesses in her home that uh, – Understatement? Yeah, she's, she has a traumatic situation. And so uh, pretty much in her world, her little part of the film, she uh, is one of the characters from the soap. And so she's kind of in this fairy tale uh, land, which the character here is not. I don't want to uh, try to diminish what the character Wendy's going through because she's actually very aware of – the problem she's going to encounter to make this fancy a reality. Uh, but that's what I was trying to go for as far as people trying to being, bring something that's just pure entertainment to their lives. It's very important to them. So yeah, nurse Betty is what I went with. What, what about yourself? Well, I was going with more of the motivation behind it because in the film, uh, Wendy, she's writing this screenplay to submit to this, uh, Star Trek competition, but in the end, she really just wants to go back home. She sees it as a way that she can get back in the good graces of her sister and so that she can, you know, get out of this um, facility that she's living in. And so I thought of plane trains and automobiles for this one. Well, uh, we are not uh, on brand that, you know, Chris, you got to do that around Thanksgiving. We, I mean, we've got a long <laughs> way, and I'm not going to remember to uh, promote this episode again uh, over the holidays. <laughs> You know, uh, I have to admit that that's one that I don't think I've seen since I was very young. Like, it's, I think I could watch that one almost fresh now, uh, which I think is uh, a bit strange for film fans because it's certainly like a holiday classic at this point and seems very quotable, but I never get it. So, yeah, would not have been on my uh, – I'm going with Nurse Betty. That's the obvious classic here, not playing strange <laughs> automobiles. What are you thinking? Side question here. Are you the type of person that has a list of holiday films uh, – for you know Christmas or Fourth of July, anything like that that you go through and you need to watch year after year. 
Uh, probably just maybe Halloween or Christmas, but now I don't have a list. I mean, I do find myself revisiting, uh, probably same ones, or maybe I, I, I throw on, I don't know, Psycho or, you know, Halloween during October, but I don't know if it's consistent. And I don't even think it's consistent with Christmas. The only one, and this is a strange one, is, uh, 4th of July, uh, Southland Tales. Richard Kelly's much beloved <laughs> Southland Tales <laughs> is the one that I make a point to watch. <laughs> so how about that? Hmm. Yeah, no, no, nothing says God bless America like Richard <laughs> Kelly's Southland Tales. Well, I, I like to think that's why we're in the state we're in, is people did not. <laughs> you know, I message. don't disagree with you on that. Should have listened to Stifler, the twin Stiflers there. They had it, <laughs> had it right. It's just the, the rock, that's the easier sell. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. I would not have called see, walking out of Southland Tales because I had I had issues with the casting of The Rock and Mandy Moore and a lot of uh, SNL alums, uh, but not with Stifler. I thought he was he was good. <laughs> he's good there. The Rock I would not have seen as like oh he's going to be the biggest movie star in the world someday coming out of Southland Tales. <laughs> what do I know though? I don't know where Stifler is. I think he's in hockey movies exclusively now. But please stand by. Um, Okay, so going back home, like the sort of the sister uh, angle, um, that's something that's there, but it's kind of, I don't want to say it's undersold. It's actually handled in the way that I think, didn't think it would be, and I really liked. You've got Alice Eve as the older sister, and there's a certain degree of, I guess, guilt that she's not, you know, she's she's becoming a mother, uh, starting her own family, and you get the impression that she feels um, some degree of shame guilt that she's not taken that role of maybe motherhood towards her sister or just being a good sister that she's moving away from her. Uh, but they don't, they don't really give her, they don't give her big, you know, sort of Oscar moments, which I liked. I've, it almost feels like they stay uh, just from the viewpoint of Wendy in that regard, even though they do obviously cut away to uh, Alice Eve and Tony Collette trying to to find Wendy when she she runs off to L.A. But I, I thought Alice Eve was uh, really understated here, and I, I really dug that character. And that, and actually, I liked all the ancillary side characters in this film, um, but the fact that it's not driving that you know that nail to the head, kind of killing you with the theme of trying to get home, is why it actually was the thing that resonated the most with me because this thing is so she doesn't know how to really communicate these ideas and thoughts and things that she's going through. Um, and so she's communicating that through her screenplay and she's communicating that through, you know, just this action of getting out there and proving that she can do this. And so it's, it's one of those things where they're actually showing it as opposed to just dictating it to you over and over again, which I, I shows a certain amount of faith from the filmmaker here in the audience. And it's kind of rare and nice. Uh, let's talk about her screenplay just a moment. Uh, hell of a writer this windy it's like the best fucking star trek episode i've ever heard like i've never you know i've never gone to a comic-con and i'm sure there are like live readings of certain episodes i'm not a big star trek fan but uh damn this is a, a rather touching kirk and spock story here it's like the ultimate uh, kirk and spock story and i guess that's saying something so hats off to the writer here michael galamko is that how you say his last name uh i i said galamko but galamko might be it i have no idea didn't you interview this guy I did, yeah. See, I'm I'm tossing you like I'm just throwing it up to you, just to slam it down, and you're like, 
<laughs> you're like waving me off. Like, eh, I guess that's fine. Like uh, you're the expert here. Well, I mean, if you, if you were to have listened to the interview I did in the beginning of it, I apologize for not having any idea how to say the guy's name. So I, I don't know. On and brand when again. I... <laughs> <laughs> here at followingfilms.com. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's, you know, I have access to these people. Why don't I just ask them? I, I don't think they would be offended. So yeah. 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 That, that's, that's true. And I, you know, I saw that pop up and I'm like, well, shit, I've not even watched this damn thing for this episode we're about to do. And Chris has interviewed the screenwriter, so he's going to, you know, be all over me. He's going to have the goods here, but no, apparently not. No. Well, no, I mean, that, that was uh, one of the go-to questions because I was, um, I, I was really taken by this sort of sub story and would have been fine with it kind of taking off and becoming its own ultimate Star Trek film. And I, I would have been on board for that. And it felt like an excuse in a way for him just to get this out of his system. And, he was a big Trekkie and he had this idea of, um, you know, just this screenplay she was working on. He was able to hit these kind of big beats and then the director would just call him up randomly and say, Hey, we need another scene with some more star Trek stuff. What do you have? (laughs) And so then he would just pull up his Netflix queue and he'd be like, well, we need to reference this. And then I can tie that in and make that about this. And there you go. And so it was just this interesting process for him. And in fact, when he had a Pat Oswalt, the scene where he has to speak Klingon, that whole idea of it, of what they're actually talking about that, where Kurt has, or uh, Spock has to go back to his home planet and he has to mate or he'll die. When, when um, the director mentioned that to him, Pat Oswalt knew exactly what that was and just drilled right into it. So he was perfectly at home in that character. Definitely shorthand when you see Pat Oswalt uh, on screen where it's like, oh, he's going to know some nerdy shit. <laughs> I'm well, fine with my thought was uh, having been to Bakersfield was Pat Oswalt Bakersfield cop. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I feel that that's some sort of insult I'm not getting, but, uh, <laughs> shout out to any listeners we have in Bakersfield. You probably don't exist. Um, and I'm, you know, just future proofing this podcast, uh, when you do arrive and there will be many that arrived to projecting film and they will regret the day they were not on board for episode one. I apologize now for the thousands. Well, I- I'm just looking forward to when we actually look at the stats and you can see where people are downloading from when we get that nice little spike from Bakersfield on this next episode. Chris, let's be honest. I'm never going to pay for that package as, as it stands. <laughs> <laughs> just basic counting stats is fine with me. I'll just imagine Bakersfield. Uh, one thing uh, just on the supporting cast, um, not with any actor in particular here, but I really liked um, you have – I guess Tony Collette's son, um, and then you have a coworker uh, where Wendy works at uh, is it Cinnabon? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never had the pleasure of having Dakota Fanning sort of uh, shout me down to try out a, a you know anything <laughs> <laughs> cinnamon and frosted. Um, that is that's got to be world class Cinnabon there. But uh, it feels like, and they don't directly state it, uh, other than having. Tony Collette playing a woman that uh, works with her um, and and sort of has come up with the system and sort of protocol and trying to to help her develop some social skills. Uh, the kids, the peer group that her age, either a coworker uh, or Tony Collette's son, seem to be completely just accepting. Like, I mean, they, you don't see them buddy up to her, but they don't really make a point to 
make Wendy feel different. And in fact, most of the time, like her son is saying, uh, this, no, this script's actually really good. Like this isn't <laughs> just something that's like kind of cute that she did or like a project that you're just proud that she completed. Like you should actually read like what she wrote. Like there's some skill here. And you know, I like the, there's the old fashioned sort of uh, mixed CD being exchanged, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, that that's, it's very quaint, very, uh, going back to like high fidelity or something. But, uh, I, I dug that the, they were having the younger characters be, I guess, a bit more progressive or just sort of, uh, accepting of, of this. Like, oh, this cool. She's really into Star Trek. Like she knows her shit, that sort of thing. Yeah. They didn't play up the, the only character that's, uh, is, that kind of looks sideways at somebody for being this into it is the other police officer. And that's not even dwelled upon. That's just something that's kind of a throwaway moment. I mean, it's it's a good gag where you know Pat Oswalt is uh, yeah. speaking Klingon, I believe. Uh, I don't want to out myself there for for knowing that, but no, it, it's certainly Klingon. Um, you have the other cop like at first is like, "Wow, you know a, a foreign language? You can like that's good for you." And then once revealed, it's like, "Oh no, not good for you!" Like that was a total <laughs> waste of time. <laughs> I didn't think it was quite that far. <laughs> Well, I, I thought that <laughs> that one scene that the you know the female cop has uh, that's how it read to me. That's <laughs> I got it. I understood where she was coming from. Do you kind of imagine her going home and just explaining her day to her partner um, in her home life about the bullshit she has to put up with Pat Oswald on a daily basis? I mean, I definitely saw. I don't see those two working out in the long term <laughs> professionally. <laughs> I could see, you know, when she she gets promoted a little bit more, they may go their their separate ways. I, I don't see a Charlie staring from young adult moment where they're gonna, they're going to consummate their love <laughs> with Klingon. Um, I you know this is a film that I think reading the IMDb summary, uh, and you could say the same thing about Nurse Betty uh, when it came out that it's probably hard to market like that that could really go too cute too fast. Like that sort of like high concept. Um, this one actually, I mean, is, you know, the, the character never believes uh, that she is a Star Trek uh, persona, although they do kind of implement that as far as clearly it's influenced her writing uh, and her relationship with her sister. But are, would you be afraid of like sort of recommending this to someone? Would you have to like preface it by saying like, no, no, it's actually like it's well written, it's well performed because. Uh, when you get into stuff that has this type, particular high concept, I wonder if there's going to be that sort of little Miss Sunshine sort of backlash from cinephiles. Yeah, and there's that. Um, <laughs> I think when I, we were both comparing this and finding other films to look at, that's the one thing that would be, you know, it makes sense. That's you know the third word in the description of it. But it's honestly something that it's not done in a way that you normally see an autistic character handled in film. So I didn't even want to pretend to say this is akin to Rain Man or Little Miss Sunshine or anything Although even remotely a road trip close to that. Aspect to it. And that's the first it, thing it, I Googled was like road it, trip. Movies. Yeah, but it lines out like on those sort of those levels really well, but it's in the execution that it's so much different here where um, it doesn't have those big grand moments, but it feels so much more honest in that way. Um, and I can't remember the last time I rewatched Rain Man but I would imagine it wouldn't hit me in the same way this did uh, from an emotional level. I actually was, you know, really struck by this movie and found it to be quite powerful um, in a way that a lot of those other films aren't. And maybe it's because I like my sort of emotional beats handled very hands off in a way where you just kind of 
touch it and walk away from it. You don't need to dwell on them for too long. Like a lot of those films do. Well, uh, in Rain Man's defense, and I'll you know I'll be the one to. to you, so you're the one coming to Dustin Hoffman's defense right now. <laughs> Let me tell you, um, <laughs> you know I love to talk about myself and our process really. So uh, last episode, you know, we did I think we did maybe 20 minutes on Road Movie, which uh, was a feat really into itself because it is it is car wrecks, scene after scene of car wrecks. <laughs> and you know, there's only so long that you kind of want to talk about that, but we we did well. Uh, we got into, and I totally forgotten about this cause we'd record that weeks ago or whatever. And then the film got delayed cause they were trying to find the, you know, the most profitable window to open the road movie in January. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking, we were debating which Franco brother we were. And oh, sure. yeah. I made fun of James Franco for a story a year or two ago where he was like flirting or trying to text like a 17 year old girl yeah. in New York city. And I had to cut out the part because as I'm listening to this, I'm like, well, shit. And I was like, okay, at this point, at least, you know, at least there was something that was two years old where he was kind of seen as a creeper uh, and maybe a bit predatory. But I then had to, of course, had to do make my editing job a little bit harder. I was like, you know, but given the current climate in Hollywood, if he wants to, you know, if he was flirting with some girl on Instagram, so be it. It's fine. He's a good guy. It's <laughs> like I was, you know, motherfucking myself because I'm like, of course, because this podcast, you know, I'm gonna bring up some uh, a random movie with Robert Downey Jr. and I remember the director's name now, but he was one of the first. Toback was it? James yeah, James Toback. Yep. I, of course, I have to you know do a deep dive to some movie no one, <laughs> no one remembers. And that- he's like the worst of the worst. He's he's given um, Harvey Weinstein a run for his money. As far as actual like filmmaker, yeah, because you know Weinstein, it's kind of hard to avoid, I guess, a Miramax film, and you don't want to. You're not going to knock the other people that worked on that just because he's the, the money man or whatever. But yeah, uh, that was a, a bad stretch there. So yeah, our last episode. Uh, so I'm just hoping, please, nothing coming out about Dakota Fanning. Um, at this point, I hope not. She's really good here. Uh, in this, this <laughs> she's <film>. great. <laughs> she's yeah, and I I say that I I hate that I'm going to in you know podcasts for i don't know maybe forever i'm gonna to have to say they're a really good actor in this one role i don't know anything about them personally <laughs> and i won't vouch for them <laughs> so are you gonna circle back around to defending uh rain man and tom cruise <laughs> dustin yeah not dustin hoffman uh okay what my point about uh that is um the only thing that has ever really held up for me and it maybe it's a bit unfair to pick on Rain Man because obviously you get people get better educated and we have different outlooks on on these type of things. Uh, but the Tom Cruise role still holds up. Like he's better. He's and he's always been better than Dustin Hoffman in that film. Like he he's the one with the the true arc there, uh, and he's the, the character that I'm sort of fascinated by. Which is it's weird that you bring that up because I thought about it and I would have really disliked that type of character. Like let's say Alice Eve is the Tom Cruise character here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have found that really hokey to have that sort of one to one connection and bond given where they introduced this character who is someone that is not moving away from her sister, but uh, you know, she's, she feels like she's doing the best she can for their relationship. And she thinks that Tony Collette has given her the help that she needs I like that we don't have like a big, you know, a big sort of origin story moment. Like there was one event, like in Rain Man, where it's like, okay, that's why they have to go their separate ways. You you get the piano scene 
um, which is about as close as it gets to that in this film. Um, that's more than enough. I, I just goes to show you don't need to have those <laughs> big moments like that. Tra- the piano is not a tragedy. I mean, it's no, 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 like no, said, no. It's just, you know, it's, it's uh, a reminder that this young woman has always had a creative bent. Uh, there, you know, there's yeah. something inside of her that she can't verbalize that she's, she's going to find a way to, to show that to the world and get that out of her system. Like most creative people would, but yeah, it doesn't have the, like, <laughs> you know, you almost killed Tom Cruise type thing. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I guess the closest to that is in, um, because she's Spock and in her fantasies where she's writing the screenplay, uh, Alice Eve is standing in for Kirk and she, I, I she almost kills herself off in the screenplay hmm. as opposed to, as mm-hmm. so I, that's as close as you get to it. I, I was trying to think of like the, uh, like sisterhood type movies. Um, and generally I don't know if there's this sort of, um, age gap necessarily. Right. I, I think in most films, like you, you would oft, more often see this with, uh, males in film as far as brother relationships. Like there's, you know, a much younger brother or something, uh, trying to, to garner the attention or ape like his older brother, um, but yeah, I don't like, it feels more like any time that Hollywood focuses on sisters, they're basically like two best friends, like very close in age. And I really dug that about this movie. I mean, I wasn't going to, you know, <laughs> if I I was afraid and I'm sort of boxing myself in based on my streak, like doing Book of Shadows for the road movie. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to Google sister movies because then I'm going to be tempted to like, oh, I could do De Palma sisters with this. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I played it as vanilla as I could by going with Nurse Betty. Like, let's focus on the the Hollywood fantasy here. Yeah, that's why I thought that you would go with um, Almost Famous because it has the sort of fantasy of being the rock star and chasing that through writing as well as the road trip aspect of it. When you said 2000, I thought that's where you were. That's that's interesting because um, I went – that came out when I was in high school. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. And so I was really excited, a big camera crew fan, and uh, I was going on a date, like a first date, with this this girl, um, and she was also a big camera crew fan. Uh, and so it's like, cool, Almost Famous comes out this weekend. Well, of course, being in Kentucky, no, it did not come to Kentucky. <laughs> like it was still <laughs> platforming out. So the film that we saw instead was Nurse Betty, and boy, did she fucking hate it. Like <laughs> that is not that. Uh, that did not set the mood. Like, you know, Cameron Crowe is good, like, high school date mood to set. Everything's very light. Everything's very... I mean, oh, I'm trying to think of... Is there one that would... No, I don't think so. I mean, Vanilla Sky, maybe not. But for the most part, <laughs> I feel like it's he's very... Uh, even if his films are already, they're very, like, sort of, like... They're a young adult outlook on, like, love. And it's like, you know, music is obviously very important to him. It sort of defines his characters. And they're usually very optimistic, maybe naively sort of optimistic characters, but yeah. So you, you don't think that's a good date movie? Almost famous. Oh, I think almost famous is a great date movie, but I, I don't think that nurse Betty is a good surrogate. What? That's where I went wrong. But I mean, I, what, I don't remember what my options were, but uh, I'd have to do some research, which I'm not about to do, but I, I really doubt that in September, 2000, that there were just a lot of, uh, you know, big heavy hitters when it came to, to rom-coms at that moment. Certainly no almost famous. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I not not that year. I, I guess you could have just put a pump the brakes on that relationship for a little while. And uh, oh, she made sure know. of that. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was not my call. But 
It's fine. I bought Nurse Betty on DVD. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Cherish that forever. Did Weinstein do that? Is that a Miramax movie? I need to check. I don't think it is. Which one? Nurse, Nurse Betty. Betty. Yeah, that sounds like that would have been one. What do you think? Like this film, I find it kind of strange that it's coming out uh, in January. Cause and and I just I say this often I sort of lament that it, it, it's it's every week we say this if this was released in what would it have been go back to two thousand I think it would have come out like in March or April would have been like a yep. nice spring release widest release uh it just you know the fact that whoever the Dakota Fanning like surrogate would be in two thousand uh and the the sort of Star Trek hook uh yeah I this and. I don't know. This certainly like it doesn't fit coming after the road movie for sure because there is that type of <laughs> independent film. Uh, but this one is just is just like charming. <laughs> the road movie that that old chestnut that independent film. That I did, we you know. I just whatever listeners we have. I want you know. I'm just being uh, upfront about the fact that I realize that that's you know we're going into like that's a certain type of independent film where sure. you're like you want to buy into the sort of. Uh, you know, the experimental nature of it. Like, okay, dash cam movie. That's all we're going to see. Enough. But uh, this one, I, I mean, I could see it uh, catching on. Um, I, I don't think it's, you know, some sort of like, uh, it doesn't even seem like a festival film to me. That's just seems like a, like a nice sort of comedy, like a nice little like family dramedy of sorts uh, that unfortunately I guess has drifted more to the TV landscape, especially with these actors. Like, Alice Eve, Tony Collette, Dakota Fanning. Like you put this on HBO or something and it's probably like a little like hit as if it was a series. Hmm. Um, or if you just did it as a one-off movie on HBO or something like that, it would have, you know, probably had some awards recognition perhaps. Did they um, do good one-off movies? Cause I always thought their films were a little bit darker. Um, they generally normally don't do stuff like this. That's why it would probably be a nice uh, <laughs> sigh of relief. Um, the, the the only movie I can think of offhand from HBO Films is Citizen X, and not oh. exactly a, a a happy-go-lucky film. There, they did the uh, the Oprah movie that was the uh, was it like the the life of Henrietta Lex? I'm getting the last name wrong. It was a popular book for a time, but didn't that's see a, it. it. It's a little bit more. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit more tragic is what I'm saying as far as the, their films that they decide to, to invest in. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I thought this was, it was, uh, I, I don't want to be dismissive. I thought it was just like a really sort of cute comedy, which it does have stakes to it. But that's why I, I thought it worked with Nurse Betty because uh, there's not a scalping, but there's some pretty, <laughs> like these, these road travels, um, uh, there's some harsh instances as far as just, you know, petty theft and just general sort of human cruelty, but even just people not taking notice of each other. Um, at times it's kind of, it's, it's a bit hard to stomach. Like, I mean, it's not anyone going out of their way to be cruel, but I think that's what made it effective as far as you realize how much harder it's going to be for this young woman. Cause people don't even like make eye contact with her. Like they go through this whole thing at the beginning about her sort of learning like social graces, like as far as the responsive face you should make. And then when she gets out in the world, you see how little people actually even look at her when she's talking to them. I thought, I thought that was really, it was really effective. I think that the stakes in planes, trains and automobiles probably line up a little bit better with please stand by. 
<laughs> as opposed to Nurse Betty. Um, uh, look, when, I said no scalping. All right, I understand. <laughs> there's no scalping in this. You know, if you're looking at like a pickpocketing situation or being held up, being left on the side of the road without a car, yeah, I think you're pretty pretty similar territory. Um, and Dakota Fanning's delivery of the word fuckface in the opening scene is when she's talking about the toaster is up there with any of Steve Martin's best lines. I think even when she corrects herself, there's still that uh, sharp edge to it. Love it. Yeah. She's really good here. I'm glad she's uh, back, I guess after, you know, having a somewhat normal, maybe educational experience. And now she's (laughs) back for our amusement, but yeah, really good here. Uh, I don't know too much about uh, the filmmaker, the director, Ben Lewin. Uh, he did the sessions. Oh, with uh, John Hawks. Yeah. He, yeah. He was, uh, he was, he was good in that. So, uh, yeah, I guess if you've seen the sessions, maybe a similar tone, um, as far as that, obviously sort of serious subject matter, but handled with a lot of charm. Um, especially from Helen Hunt and John Hawks, that relationship is, is pretty funny as a pretty decent, like rom-com ish at times. Do you know what's strange though? If you click on his uh, IMDb link for uh, Ben uh, Lewin, it doesn't show up uh, Please Stand By under his credits yet, but it's listed under Please Stand By. I- I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's the Sessions. Um, yeah, that's what I'm getting as far as this previous film. Um, All right, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure he's taking credit for this, Chris. Like. <laughs> Or are you saying he's not getting <laughs> oh, the credit he deserves? Okay. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, we can just go ahead and <laughs> cut this episode out at this point. <laughs> Completely have, derailed. We don't We don't have an out, though. Um, hmm. You have to say something uh, amusing oh. or sexy about John Hawks, I guess. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> That's a tall order to fill. Um, do okay. you have anything sexy to say about John Hawks? He's a... Uh... He's squirrely. It seems. I think he'd. I think he'd. Uh, I think he'd move around quite a bit in the bedroom. Well, she does it in the in sessions. <laughs> that was actually there. Terrible. It is. <laughs> Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're at. Uh, where are we at? We're at projecting film. Um, <laughs> I think that's it. I'm leaving it. <laughs> anecdote you have to discriminate you choose things that are that are funny or or mildly amusing or interesting you're a miracle your stories have none of that they're not even amusing accidentally honey i'd I'd like you to meet del griffith he's got some amusing anecdotes for you boy here's a gun so you can blow your brains out you'll thank me for it